0: the hood follow us on the ground at igjhood and at espn underscore chicago this is chicago's home for sports
1: espn 1000 we put about 750 million dollars into the ballpark and the dollars spent were to create the best place for players to play and the best place for the fans to watch the game the thoughts from tom ricketts Owner of the Chicago Cubs. We're talking to Jesse Rogers now, who covers the Cubs in Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. And my friend joins me here on Under the Hood. Hello, Jesse.
2: Hello, Jonathan. Good evening. How you doing, pal?
1: You know how I'm doing. How's the black suit? You wearing that during this interview, too? Or?
2: <laughs> Thank God uh, I have a face for radio, right? I mean, And let me tell you something for people that don't know what you're referencing. I was on ESPN TV this morning. It's a long day when you do the morning show. My God. I don't know how you people get up in the, in the morning, but not you. You have the night show, but I can't do that every morning. Thank God I don't have to.
1: But you look great, though. I just want you to know you look great in that uh, in eh, suit you were
2: wearing. Yeah, I know you're humoring me. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> well, if I mean, you got to have friends lie to you, if nothing else. Yeah, exactly right.
2: Because <laughs> your enemies won't. <laughs> yeah, no, well, hey. it's just the tell you business. the stark truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Jess, so did yeah. you
1: walk away from the Tom Ricketts conversation Believing everything Ricketts told you?
2: Well, of course not everything. If you believe everything a sports owner tells you, then you're really being naive. Now, I probably believe more than than maybe other people do. I, I do believe that that they're probably cash strapped and it's a cash strapped business. When you when you uh, when you don't prepare for something like this, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna say I believe them, but I'm gonna damn them at the same time. When you don't prepare for a pandemic like this. And the season is shut down right before your revenue streams are about to open up, meaning tickets and corporate sponsors and all that. You know, as the season starts, when that all of that happens, it's not a surprise that they're 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 cash strapped because um, it's not an industry that that you know has tons of reserves. Now, personal wealth is a different story, but um, look, I think Ricketts in part did that interview because he has a leg to stand on. He's he's right in pushing back on Boris. What has he done with his money? Well, he's improved Wrigley field. And as I've said this a couple times times um, in the last 24 hours, you know, he didn't just re- redo his own suite. He's made it a great experience for the fans, Wrigleyville and Wrigley field. He has also had a top five payroll. If one of those was true and one of them wasn't, I, I would be more apt to come down on him, but he has renovated Wrigley field and had a top five payroll over the last five years. Now, Decade ago, when he first owned the team, he he didn't have a high payroll, but he does now. So you got to give him credit. So but here's the thing. I do believe that the whole league is a little cash strapped. That's just how it works, apparently. But that's their fault. That's their fault. There isn't a a team or owner that can't get a loan to cover what he has to do, uh, has to cover or get equity from minority investors. There's ways for them to get money. And that's. Where the players are like, "We don't care about your losses. you figure it out, And I kind of understand that argument,
1: okay, how about this quote that he gave you the uh, the league itself does not make a lot of cash. I think there's a perception that we hoard cash and we take money out. And it's still sitting in a pile that we've collected over the years. Well, it isn't because no one has anticipated this pandemic is what you just talked about just moments ago. Uh, No one expects to have to draw down on the reserves from the past. Every team has to figure out a way to plug the hole. That first line of the league itself does not make a lot of cash. Do you think the owners are on board with, with Rickett saying that on the record? Do you think Manfred's good with that quote?
2: I'm pretty sure he is because I don't think he would have said it if he, if he wasn't uh, okay with it, if the league wasn't okay with it. Yeah. I think they're, 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 they're trying to stress. I mean, I, I, you know, the airlines don't have a lot of cash apparently on hand, right? But they have a yeah. big, big, big time business. And as soon as a pandemic like or crisis hits, they need a bailout. Now, luckily uh, they didn't ask the government for a bailout or else we were to really laughed, you know, at, 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 the owners in baseball. So Yes, I I I think they take in a lot of money. Of course, they take in billions every year, but they they put it back out. Apparently, you know, and and uh, at least in Ricketts' case, he put it back out into two things that are important to people: the payroll and and the and Wrigley Field. So that's where I'll give him a little bit more credit. But again, it is a three billion dollar uh, team that has no cash on hand that doesn't seem to jive right that that doesn't make sense to people um and uh i, I don't i you know value of, of of franchises keep going up but apparently your your cash on hand doesn't you know so you oh, get Jess. that cash when you sell i don't just, know is
1: that, well just that just doesn't that doesn't pass the smell test we need to drill yeah. down on this a little bit okay so i'm an owner of a baseball team if i never see the black then why am i in the business well, I'm in the, well, I mean, our,
2: fra- for your franchise value, you know, I mean, obviously they get they're, He makes a, he makes a uh, paycheck. He, he, he's on the payroll just as Theo is and those guys. But in terms of the, the value, you, you get it in, in the value of the franchise when you, when you sell it, look, I, I, I don't disagree there. Obviously they make a lot of money. His claim is they put it back into the team.
1: Do you believe that all teams, I guess, I guess historically no. are always no. in the red. Which, like, I don't
2: I don't believe all teams put their money back in into the product
1: like like the like the A's Marlins pirates pirates
2: yeah I don't I don't think so I mean if, if you did your payrolls would be higher um and he and again it's just a matter of timing if the if the Cubs were in a recycle uh, in a rebuilding mode like they were a decade ago he wouldn't be able to make this argument so look I think that the, the there's some truth in what he says but but there's a there's a lot of uh, a gray area, and and, and you know it, he could split hairs on a few things. But in general, I don't doubt that that they don't have a lot of cash on hand, and they're going to lose a lot of money either way. They're trying to lose less money by cutting a better deal with the players, um, and and but you know that's the risk of owning a business, as we've talked about over these two three months. Risk and reward. They had rewards. Now now the downside is upon them and they've got to figure out a way to cover it. And it just, I think it, here's the one that boggles my mind. There should be no system where playing more games is bad. And that's what the owners are saying. We play more, we lose this year. We need to play less. Um, I think that that goes against the idea of, of trying to, you know, have a season, play as many games as you can. Um, That's what they, they agreed upon in late March, but obviously without fans, the owners think it's a different dynamic
1: okay so we've we've seen this over the years jesse about you know some teams just will not have the um financial commitment to winning so they don't mind you know losing or trying to be able to build with young people this is why there's always been criticism of moneyball the a's mm-hmm. you get good and then you just level it off and then you get good to a certain point and they level it off marlins do the magic trick of winning a couple of world series championships and then taking it all the way down and knock it down to the stubs um, I guess we throw Kansas City in there as well. So, you know, here's the frustrating thing as a fan you, and as a reporter. You don't know the books financially. And and no. so I would love to know those teams that struggle or those teams that, that don't have the big payroll like the Dodgers, Cubs, Yankees. i like to see what their books are because if they're not putting it back in the team, then those owners must be uh, fat cats.
2: Yeah. Where's the money going? I agree. And, you know, I've thought more and more about this. It's probably time for baseball to have a salary cap. Now, that Mm -hmm. that means having a salary floor, too. Uh, First of all, this this acrimony wouldn't be there if there was a partnership. Uh, I guess you 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 figure out what um, you you learn the most about uh, people or, or an organization or a partnership or a Collaboration in a crisis, right? There is no collaboration. There is no partnership. Crisis hits and these guys can't figure it out. So it's time to form a partnership. The other thing is this you got to have a salary floor because this whole rebuilding thing has got to come to an end, okay? We can't be doing these cycles of rebuilding. So those teams that want to rebuild, they've got to at least have a minimum payroll. That means there's a maximum payroll too. And of course, players have pushed back against that. Um, And maybe Garrett Cole doesn't make the money he makes with it with a salary cap, but the mid-level guy would make some money with a salary floor. So there's a give and take there. Um, And the argument against that is the big stars are the ones that drive the sport and they deserve the most money. So we can go back and forth. But the bottom line is if this was a revenue sharing thing from the beginning, uh, it would feel like the NBA, NHL and, and NFL. They'd figure it out together because it's in the best interest of both parties to do that. When the revenues go up, they both make um, a percentage of the the pie, basically 50-50 in the other sports. So uh, this is highlighting the distrust between the groups and maybe the next CBA they need to come to an agreement in in terms of a revenue-sharing partnership.
1: That could be hell, and that also could be doing even more damage to baseball than is happening right now, Jesse. I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Because as I talked to talk show Jesse about this, Jesse, on the surface, right, it's ridiculous to pay – I'm, I'm, okay, let's put it this way – it's a lot of money that you'll dole out to, say, an A-Rod when he made $252, 252 million with Texas, what Mike Trout's making, because uh, it's a lot of pressure and a lot of money for one player when you have all these ball players that have to make a difference in order for you to win. It's, it's one thing to invest yeah. in one guy, but it's impossible to get a return on that investment from a production standpoint.
2: Yeah, it's, it's probably better to spread out the money. I mean, 65% make a million or less in the league. And yet, there's all the uh, you know, the, the, but their payrolls are 200 million. Some of these guys, I mean, some of these teams, and and they're all spent on a couple three guys, and really, that's not the formula to winning. So, so maybe there has to be a little bit more money spread out. Um, the top guys won't make as much in it in, in a salary cap world. Bottom guys will make more. And the key is there are there's a partnership between the players and the league. Um, so when crises like this happen, and granted it's unpredictable and pretty dramatic of a crisis, at least they can they can work together on it because they're not working together really. They're talking past each other.
1: What do you think is the correct amount of games to return?
2: Well, I'm um, I'm, I'm an advocate. I, I liked the the idea of an 80 game season. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I I don't think you can go much less than than 70 or, or you know maybe you can do 60. It just becomes a a glorified spring training at that point. Right. And look, injuries are injuries are the under talked about thing because we're not quite there yet. But look, uh, 40, 50, 60, 70 games. a guy's out with a hammy. Is he pushing to get back because there's the seasons you know over in a, in a matter of a month or two? Or is he pushing to stay out? Because what's the difference? And I'm going to rush back for this. Right. Uh, and in that, you know, once they're playing, if a guy gets hurt, he still gets paid. So there's all sorts of weird things with injuries that are that we can't even think about right now. Um, but what I'm getting at is it's got to be enough that that you're not you're not panicking with a bad start. You're not panicking with one injury. So you got to give it baseball is about uh, always about a larger sample size. So I, I'd like to see 70 to 80 games. Um I think it'd be cool. If, I think once we got going and, and you know, maybe after the 20 game mark, the competition would get better and you'd feel that thing, uh, that, that playoff thing going. But you can't feel it in 40 or 50 games. You need, you need double that. So I, I'm in that 80 to 90 game range. And uh, I mean, frankly, I, I think a season should be about 100 anyway. So mm-hmm. so this isn't that much less than what I think it should be. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm right there. And I think players don't really want to play 40 or 50 for the things I said, mostly the injury concerns. It's just not worth it. Possibly blow out your arm for, for 25% of your salary, 25% of the season and a, and a world series with an asterisk.
1: Well, whatever happens is the Cubs get a pass. Cause this is all nonsense. This is crazy. <laughs> it's like where your, your focus is 2021 to see how the Ross regime goes. Cause this is just, it's so topsy turvy, Jesse. It's hard to get a gauge on how any of these teams are going to fare.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm going to write something for Saturday that if they play a 50-game season, and it's looking more and more like it might be because because Manfred is just going to lay the law down and implement it, and the players are going to have to say yes or no, and I think they're going to end up saying yes so they can get paid something, and and they know that if the league shuts down for the season, uh, yeah, it hurts the owners, but ultimately it's going to hurt the players in 2021 as well. So they, if anything, they've got to build some momentum towards some, some goodwill for next year, where revenues might return a little bit, that but that's even in doubt. So if it's a, a fifty-game season, I'm going to write that I think 24 teams should make the playoffs out of 30. Um, the top four <laughs> in each division turn it into,
1: turn it into the NBA.
2: <laughs> I know, I know, the top four in each division, but there's a reason. And then and then one place uh, one place four, two place three in each division, and so on and so forth. My reason is is um, injuries, and 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 so in a sense that those 50 games would be a glorified spring training because if almost everyone's making the playoffs, you can kind of take your time to build up your pitchers. And, you know, obviously if that, if you're that fifth-place team with a chance to get in, you know, you'll make your push. But, you know, there, there'll probably be a couple teams out of it after three weeks. And then, you know what I mean? Like everyone else can jockey for position but, but build towards a cool – um, expanded playoff where maybe the baseball will be at its best because I don't think we'll see great baseball no matter what, if it's a 40 or 50 game season. It's just, I just, I just don't see it. So it's almost like treat that as the, as the appetizer to a cool round Robin type of you know, not round robin, but you know what I mean. This yeah. this cool type of tournament with 24 teams. If they're going to go that short, that's that's kind of the way I'm thinking of it.
1: Jesse, lastly, and I appreciate your time. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't. I know you haven't written anything about this. I'm just wondering. Uh, so, the Major League Baseball draft is June 10th. I'm I'm sure that the MLB draft will be similar to the NFL draft, right? Because the NFL did it right. Remotely. Yeah, everybody at home, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, they're going to do it remotely. I don't know every single detail, but certainly not. they're not getting together in New York with all the draftees and all that. We, one thing we know is it's five rounds, so it's going to go much faster than any draft we've ever seen. And then after that, it's a free-for-all for free agents who can only sign for a certain amount of money. That's been capped. Um, to Man, you got to feel for the guy that was going to be a sixth-round pick, and now he's got to scramble to find a job. Um, they really sacrificed the amateur players in this in this deal um, it's it's going to hurt the the sport for a couple years now. They're they're not going to recover for a couple seasons.
1: There's no Sosa McGuire chase that's going to help this.
2: I don't it's, see it. No, I don't see it. That the only thing I see is maybe a, a great competition in October somehow. But I don't see what in the regular season is going to really excite people. Um, especially now that the NFL, NBA and NHL will all be playing at the same time, man. Baseball has got to get moving and just provide that, that nightly in the background on your TV sound. And then hopefully it's good baseball, but I have my doubts about that even. So I wish I could paint a better picture, but let's just see what happens. Maybe they, maybe, maybe it is okay. And you regroup for 2021, but not to not play anything, man, it will be forgotten. Um, I, I I said on Sylvie's show I, I should you know I think Cub fans will always return but that's not the case in every city for every team.
1: That's true. That's true. And and yeah. you and I also are in agreement, Jesse, that even though this is um, causing damage every day that there's no baseball, the fans will return. It's just going to be it's going to take some time, but the the sport will not be broken because of this. Fans want to get out, and in, in some states you can go out and watch games. Twenty five percent in Texas, if you want to see the Rangers, so eventually. Uh, fans will return. It's just going to be a slow process.
2: Yeah, and they'll be they'll be ticked off for a while if there's no season. But um, hopefully they play something and get past all this acrimony. We'll see, though. We'll, we'll know in the next 10 days, that's for sure.
1: Uh, Gary Bettman looks good. He looks better and better every <laughs> single does. day. Yeah, Bradley he does. Cow.
2: That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a bad commissioner if you're making Bettman look good. <laughs>
1: Jesse, thank you so much as always, my friend.
2: Have a great evening. Take care, man.
1: It is Jesse Rogers who covers Major League Baseball and the Cubs for ESPN.com. Coming up next, we hear from Matt Nagy, the head coach for the Bears. He got a chance to meet with the media. Some interesting thoughts about how to meet through Zoom. That's next on UTH. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. Don't forget to download the ESPN Chicago app. Look for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on the ESPN Chicago app. You can hear all the shows that we have here on ESPN 1000. Listen to the show live. So if you haven't done so, look for ESPN Chicago. Download the app and you are right in. It's so easy to navigate through that uh, app. Even I can do it. So check that out, the ESPN Chicago app, and check out our podcast, shows that you might have missed from Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. So Matt Nagy, amongst others, met with the media today. Uh, for OTAs are, are here, and we're getting closer to – football season we're 99 days away from what's supposed to be opening night for the nfl and matt Nagy is on the hot seat and so is ryan pace ryan pace is someone that i've focused on for since he's been in the job because it is important for this bears team to have some kind of consistency and what is troubling is that my focus is on the bears but also it's on the nfc north and the nfc I want you to think about all the teams in the NFC and then try to figure out where the Bears are amongst those teams in the conference. For me, it starts with the conference. And then we start looking at the NFC North and looking at Aaron Rodgers and the Packers watching Cousins uh, and the Vikings, the Lions, whether or not there's going to be a resurgence there in Detroit or not. And then it's the Bears, because to me, watching Bears football and just having this linear view of that roster does not tell the entire story. The Bears have to have, to me, some record quality uh, years offensively for this team to be able to flourish. And I don't mean 8-8, eight 7-9. Eight, I mean if they really want to contend, if they want to flourish, then offensively we have to see some terrific numbers from Allen Robinson, whoever is going to be, be on the other side as far as wide receiver, um, who the quarterback going to be, how the line comes together, all those things. Everything. Everyone has to work in concert, but on the offensive side of the football, it is so important for the Bears to be able to be on the same page. And I know that as we get closer to the season, we're going to continue to talk about the tug of war between Trubisky and Foles and who's going to be the starter and who's not. But the point is, is that if the Bears cannot be able to get out of their own way on their own team, then The Packers and the Vikings won't matter because they'll just do what they do and that's solidify themselves into the playoffs again. All these other teams in the NFC will solidify themselves. The quarterback spot is important. And so Matt Nagy got a chance to talk um, to the press today. First of all, talk about the impact of the team meeting.
3: What's hard for me to explain because just the way I'm wired is, again, and I I, for me, it's just so easy because there's nothing. None of that. So when, when I'm talking to any person or person in the building, player, et cetera, uh, I don't care, color, race, gender, none of that. I don't care. I don't see that. And, and our, like you said, with with family and kids, the way that, that Stacy and I raise our boys, I mean, how, how it is and how it should be. And so, um, you know, what I thought in, in the beginning of the meeting, as we got started and really going, um, there was a lot of things I took away, like I've already said. Um, but one thing that I thought that was brought up that was really, um, important and, and, and neat to see was some of our, um, black players asking and looking for, you know, opinions of, of the white players and, and listening to their views too. Like they didn't want this to turn into something where this is only black players that speak. And it wasn't that. That was what was so cool. I mean, when I talked to you about the word love and how that was used between white and black on that on that Zoom call, that that's the powerful. That's the raw. And and so um, hearing the opinions of where some of the white players stand, and I think that was something that I thought was was impressive to see that they wanted, and then vice versa. Um, and you just feel it, and you understand. Um, the significance of love it, it just, I said it yesterday, that word does not get used enough in this world, love. And, and so, uh, I'm going to make it my own mission to use it more, to, to show it more. Um, and in our world of the NFL, big, tough guys, um, it's just unconditional, and I think it goes a long way. And so I you f- at the end of that meeting on Monday, I felt that there was love in that room.
1: So thoughts there from Matt Danke, um, the head coach for the Bears. Again, when we take a look at this team, the team has got to be able to to find a way to dig out of just being mediocre at 8-8, eight eight, but it's also – Good that the Bears can be able to come together and be able to talk out what's been going on socially. See, so those, this relates a lot to Vic Fangio as the head coach for the Denver Broncos. You know, um, the feeling from Vic Fangio, and he had to walk those comments back, is saying that it, that it, that he believes that the nfl locker room should be able to mirror society and so for matt nagy it was good that he was able to get players on that zoom call to be able to have um a a conversation uh about what is going on in our world and i think that's also very very important so Akeem hicks also got a chance to speak uh, as well and he had a number of things to say outspoken he's been a guest in this program And so um, there was a question on on being on Zoom, on the Zoom presser with only white reporters.
2: Akeem, it it struck me that on this call, everyone who's asked you a question has been of one ethnicity. And after the call, we're all going to go right about what you said. But none of us on this call could possibly understand your emotions, what you've been going through the last however long it's been. So... How are you doing?
0: Um, Thank you for asking that. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, it it is pretty interesting. It it is a really interesting thing to be on this call. And as I swipe through, I don't see one face that looks like mine. Right? But what I do see is a lot of people that I have interactions with on a daily basis that have treated me with respect, have been honest, right? Um, have, Have... worked with me uh, on on a lot of the things that I've done over my four years here. And so um, what I'll say is this. Racism doesn't exist in every situation. Right? Is it Have I experienced it or encountered it in my 30 years on this planet? A lot of times. Right? But um, I can't live my life or do my job if the first thing on my mind is this person doesn't like me because of the color of my skin. Now, do I experience it? Do I ever feel it? Yes. But I have to interact with every single one of you and, um, to have that mindset, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't do me any justice.
1: Uh, Hicks also, uh, was talking about the protesters and whether or not the protests that we have seen here across the country, will it bring change?
0: Man, I hope so. Um, I think that uh, I think that I've seen it before. I, I think that uh, you know this is different. One thing that I've seen more than I've seen in other situations where where a black man has died in the streets because of police brutality is that uh, there are a lot more ethnicities out on the front lines and speaking out and and standing up. and And I, I saw one. One picture that really stuck with me, there was a line of, 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 of white people that stood in front of a group of other ethnicities because they felt like their lives or their bodies would be in danger, you know, if, if they were on the front lines. If the, the black people, if the uh, Spanish people, if the, whatever ethnicity was behind them, right, because it looked to be pretty diverse, I found that to be super powerful. It, 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 it was a picture that's going to stay with me for a long time.
1: So, Akeem Hicks of the uh, Chicago Bears speaking and also Matt Nagy talking about what's going on. Again, you know, it's good for a, a locker room to be able to come together and be able to talk about these things. I think Nagy was very eloquent in just talking about how you get uh, all different um, cultures, at uh, ethnicities it, to come together. And that's, that's always a good thing. Um, to be able to talk these these issues out. And so uh, I think that makes a harmonious, a harmonious locker room when everyone is able to come together and, and talk about these issues. Uh, Clinton Yates from the com will join us. Also coming up at nine o'clock, you know, we talked about um, from a money standpoint, some of the issues that some of these teams have, how bad will some of these teams uh, hemorrhage money here during COVID-19, Major League Baseball, uh, National Hockey League, MLS and some of the others. We'll have an expert to talk about that coming up at 9 o'clock. Clinton Yates, though, is next.
0: What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Under the
1: Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Tyler, remind me, I, I owe you $5 for not being able to pronounce the word ethnicity. <laughs> All right. In our last segment. I'll so. hold you to that. I'll hold you. <laughs> Hit me up on Venmo. <laughs> I certainly will do that, as a matter of fact. Ethnicity. So all you five bucks for not being able to, uh, to pronounce that properly. It's the uh, first day with my new tongue, so that happens. Um, Tales from the Hood stories of sports, entertainment, and everything else in between. Um, this will be a uh, conversation with Clinton Yates from TheUndefeated.com. Very thoughtful, uh, has a great perspective on things that are going on in our world right now. Uh, and he joins us on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Uh, Clinton, thanks so much for coming on the show.
4: No doubt, Hood. Glad to see that you're still okay. I've been seeing Chicago doing their best to try to maintain not just normalcy, but safety in these tough times, so glad to be here.
1: I just want to just find out from your standpoint how everything is going with, with you because you have several perspectives, um, not only what is going on with D.C., but now in Los Angeles, so I know that you have tentacles in both spots. Yeah. Uh, what is the reaction that you have heard and seen?
4: I'll start with my hometown first. D.C. is in a very difficult and different position than a lot of cities. For those of you who don't know the urban history of the District of Columbia, it basically took up until, I don't know, 15 years ago for them to rebuild from the last time protests got out of control and riots in the 60s destroyed all of the town. Um, You know, the economic rebuilding that that took in the city is something that is very fresh in a lot of people's minds so people don't don't look at protesting and what we'll just call rioting lightly you know what i'm saying that's not something that people can just sort of wave their hand at there are a lot of folks who've had their lives turned upside down who are still alive who think about that so that's where dc is at you know i don't think anybody wants to see anything get any farther out of control than it already has and i'm talking about the protest going violent not just the behavior of law enforcement officials. Now here in L.A., I think the vibe is a little different. L.A., of course, has its own specific urban history with demonstration. You look back at Rodney King. You look at Watts in the 60s, and L.A. is kind of in their own world in terms of what is reasonable to apply to the streets. So I'm riding around in L.A. right now. I can hear helicopters. I've seen more police squad cars in the last three days than I've probably seen in the six weeks that I moved since I moved here. And what each municipality does to try to tamp down what they feel are threats is different. But I know in each place the specific histories of those locations matter as much as anything more largely more largely nationally as far as, you know, impact and getting along overall as a society.
1: Clinton, as we take a look at the George Floyd story, this is a story that is uh, very similar to what we have seen generationally. It is one thing to see the video, it's another thing to read and hear about stories such as uh, the George Floyd story that we have seen. I wanna know, does this feel nationally different to you than other deaths and and killings uh, like George Floyd?
4: It feels a little different to me for one reason and one reason only. And that is because we've seen people responding to this that are way outside of the normal. And I'm not talking about, I don't know, the New York Islanders or Natasha Cloud in the NBA, who, by the way, is not new on this. She has been talking about underprivileged and violent societies using her platform for a while. But we've heard from the University of Minnesota Mm -hmm. talking about we're going to relook at our relationship with the Minnesota Police Department. We've seen the Minnesota school system say the same thing. That, to me, forget about these people are trying to bust into a van store and get some new kicks. That, to me, is really what makes a difference here is when the, the groups that we're used to tying themselves in with all the other pillars of authority decide they're not going to do that anymore. That, to me, is a real change, and that's been different for me. So while the different outbursts, if you will, have meant something, the fact that where this actually happened, the people who did not have to make any changes, at least not, you know, topically, as far as anybody's concerned, they did. And they said as much out loud. That, to me, shows that this is different well beyond anything I see on YouTube or social media.
1: Clinton Yates from com with Jonathan Hood and Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. I'll also say this, Clinton, as far as something that's different and new uh, when it comes to deaths, stories like this. When the police chief of Minneapolis, Arnando, says on the record that not only is Derek Chauvin um, complicit, but also the three officers that were a a part of that scene also complicit, when you're saying that, that is totally different than what you'll ever get uh, from stories like that. I thought that that was very compelling I saw yesterday.
4: It was. And if you want to get into the specific chalk talk of this case, I think the way that the Minneapolis Police Department has handled things has been corrective, at best, but it's gotten to a point that was at the very least communicative. And that's all we can ask for. I was talking to Marty and McGee on ESPN Radio on the weekend this this weekend, and they said, well, where can we find hope? And I say the only hope, at least for black folks in America, is through accountability. You can't hope within reasonable lifetime amounts, lifetime spans, that some large kumbaya is going to happen. That's just not realistic. What we can hope for is that what does happen is accounted for and discussed and prosecuted or not properly. That's all we can really ask for, because the difference between justice and order, in a lot of ways, is the difference between being white and not. I mean, that's just really what it comes down to. If you're more concerned about the order of the streets than you are about fixing the problem that led to the issue to begin with, well, then that implies you have a certain amount of privilege. So for me, you know, that, that to me is the relationship that has changed the most, is that people understand what the purpose of accountability is beyond just rage at any particular group or any particular individual. It sows the seeds of justice. That is what accountability is for. And sometimes order is not always a priority in that particular regard.
1: Clinton, when I'm talking to young people, I know you do the same. When you talk to young people, you get a perspective of what the next generation or two are, is going to look like for the future, what's going through their mind. And one of the things that resonates with me the most in those conversations is that they just want to be heard. They want to be able to have a voice. They want to be able to feel like that they are part of, of something positive. That's what it is on the surface. I'm just wondering, like, what does the, the future of our country look like when they see stories of, of George Floyd and not just in George Floyd? it's all the other uh, executions all the other uh, deaths at the hands of police I wonder what the the next generation looks at how do they view what their life will look like when they're adults
4: you know one of the things that I've found similarly to you about that generation is that whatever they see they're gonna talk about it and that is the main thing that I appreciate I've been on a lot of different airways and networks today and I mentioned Quite frankly, I don't care what a lot of white people think when it comes to how to solve problems for black Americans. I think the priority is listening to black Americans first. But that does not mean that I do not think that there is value in a Carson Wentz, in a Joe Burrow coming out and saying something that doesn't come from your normal voice. I think there's a lot to be said for that, because the other side of listening to black folks when it comes to speaking about our plight is making sure that other communities go back to where y'all came from and talk to y'all's people about this you see what i'm saying so that's one thing that i believe that the younger generation has done well through social media through whatever exposure it may be they know how to speak up and if the people who are on their level who again don't have to talk about this are at least forced to listen from messengers that are not normally the ones in the batter's box to use the baseball metaphor well then we've got to win you know that to me is the grand value of what this next generation can do. I got a kid sister who's in college and I got a kid brother who's in high school and they be talking, you know, and that's all you can really ask for because if we're going to talk about how we need the discussion, we're going to have a dialogue. As Charles Barkley would say, well, then make sure everybody's talking, you know, and make sure the right people are listening because that's the only way you're going to get priority, um effectiveness when it comes to what should and should not go down. So that young generation, they do that well. They speak up when they can because they're allowed to and because we now have the system technologically for them to own their own messages.
1: You know, Clinton, I just look at everything that we have seen leading into June 1st, and it's just this has just been hell on wheels, all of it, in yeah. 2020. Like COVID-19, record unemployment, over 102, 103,000 people killed in this country, uh, dying in this country because of COVID-19. Those that, that died during this George Floyd uh, uh, scenario was going on here yeah. with some of the riots. It's just, it has just been a lot. It's just been a lot. And I just think that there are some, not all, and I don't, I can't parse the percentage. I'm just saying that there's some that's been in this pressure cooker after a while, mask versus no mask. Should I uh, stay at home and save lives or should I go out? I just think there's a lot of people upset and pissed off about everything that's been going on here.
4: Oh, absolutely. And don't get me wrong here. I believe that the racial injustices to the law enforcement system of America are enough to make me, you, and Deontay down the street fired up enough to say something or do something in a public platform. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that because of where we are on June 1st, 2020, that there are a lot more people who absolutely have to do something to satisfy their own feelings of self because they've been cooped up for so long or they're so hurt about everything else. That's completely reasonable to me. You know, there is a large element of quarantine headache that is coming into what we see on the streets of America today. And I'm not saying that that excuses anybody. and I'm not saying that, that somehow puts those who choose violence over communication as smarter. What I'm saying is that don't disassociate the two just because you can folks are upset for a lot of reasons this a very good reason is one that set them off and I think that the violence level just in general is up because of our heightened state of anxiety that's been because of all the things that you mentioned
1: I was on with Wadlin Sylvie earlier at the afternoon show at one here at ESPN 1000 and Mm -hmm. (laughs) one of the questions they asked me is what can you know what can we do (laughs) And, and I just kind of, and (laughs) Tom, Tom, I know, and I I love Tom Waddle and I love Mark Silverman. It's just that, you know, the the thing that I told him, I said, Tom, stop saying that you just don't know anything. And I'm just going to listen because you have the platform to say that what we saw from George Floyd was wrong and that systemic racism through the police department is wrong. Like right. it, it starts there. Like I would, I would tell tell any white person or someone that is detached from the story still, if that's a, if that's possible, that just saying that this is wrong and that I'm going to tell everybody that's wrong, or I'll uh, be able to communicate that. That's the first step. There is no what what can we do? It is you saying with your platform, whether you're on the air or not, that that's wrong. That would that be a sage advice or not? I would
4: agree. Yeah. And because, you know, and for those of you who say, well, you know, I don't know how much that's going to do or it's hard. Well, too bad. I mean, if if it's hard or if you don't see the effectiveness, well, then deal with that. I mean, you don't don't ask black folks for a solution and then your reply be the only thing that you can do is something you can understand. You ain't going to understand what it's going to take because you aren't living it. And that's the whole point. But the acknowledgement, as you mentioned, Hood, is what comes first. If you acknowledge this issue and you acknowledge that your existence alone feeds the issue, whether or not you are a violent perpetrator or you know, a tacit perpetrator, then you know if you can acknowledge that, then you can move forward and say aloud to somebody else who needs to hear it, what's actually going on. The problem is that, frankly, frailty and guilt understandably as human emotions enter so much of our public communication that people have problems talking out loud about things without exculpating themselves most primarily because that's just where we are conditioning-wise in America. But if you're honest with yourself and you can admit that you live in a country and in a world in which privilege matters because some people can turn off this discussion and some people can't, well, then you can finally get to maybe doing something. But if you can't acknowledge that your place not you, but one's place is as important as one's action, you know, in the face of black folks, then you're not going to be able to make any real advancement. Go ahead and talk to your pastor. Talk to your CYO coach. Go ahead and talk to the dude that mows your lawn. Talk to him or talk to them about what's going on in black America, because they need to know as much as I need to know that any particular white person is on my side.
1: Clinton, I'm glad you spent some time with us in Chicago. I just want to get your perspective because D.C. and uh, L.A., um, amongst other cities, have issues. So I'm glad that you jumped in and gave us your perspective.
4: Absolutely, man. Stay safe out there. And I hope everybody in Chicago who's listening understands that it's very simple. We do not want revenge. We want equality. There's a difference.
1: Clinton Yates from TheUndefeated.com with Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000. Chicago's
0: home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000.
1: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, weeknights at 7 here on ESPN 1000 the ESPN Chicago app. Boy, there's some teams and some some sports that are really losing money. How much money? We're going to find out coming up at 9 o'clock. We have a very special guest to talk about sports and business at 9 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. Glad that you're in here. Uh, so the NBA is going to happen here right around the corner. The NBA has been very clandestine, has been working behind the scenes to try to get this done. And just as I suspected, just as I expected, the, the NBA, instead of just doing what I believe is right and just coming back with 16 teams to start the playoffs, they have a plan in place. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski had some thoughts on this, but I just want to just point out, NBA teams headed to Orlando because they're going all these teams are gonna be in Orlando playing in one spot because of COVID nineteen. The Western Conference will have the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Jazz, Thunder, Rockets, Mavericks, and the Grizzlies. Along with Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, ah, San Antonio Spurs, and Phoenix Suns. Um, the Eastern Conference will have the Bucks, the Raptors, Celtics, Heat, the Pacers, the 76ers, the Nets and the Magic along with the Washington Wizards. With a wink and a nod, you understand what's going on here, right? As much as I enjoyed the NBA, you know that there was a plan in place to try to be able to get Zion Williamson back on the uh, in the spotlight because Zion Williamson is going to be the next biggest thing reportedly projected to be the next biggest thing in the NBA. So even though the Pelicans were not in amongst the top eight teams in the West, they're trying to find a way to get him in. Uh, is As great as uh, C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard is, they were only the ninth best team in the West, and now they put them into the mix. Bradley Beal, terrific with the Wizards. He comes in there. So there's going to be some playoff. There's going to be some regular season, and there's going to be some playoff games as well. Uh, some of these teams are probably salty, like the Bulls, the Knicks and some of these other teams, Atlanta, that they won't be playing basketball for eight or nine months. But this is what it is, right? The NBA is trying to get more star power, trying to get Zion into a playoff scenario. And I just think that that's kind of funny. Some thoughts now from Adrian Wojnarowski on the NBA return plan.
5: L, the league office has a proposal now that it is sharing with team owners. There is a vote set for tomorrow afternoon with the league's board of governors. Uh, will approve a 22-team return to play uh, in Orlando beginning on July 31st. 13 teams from the Western Conference, 9 from the East, and a potential play-in tournament uh, that would include the 8 and 9 seeds um, uh, in each conference. Every team, I'm told, is going to play 8 regular season games in Orlando, and then if There are teams, if there is a ninth seed within four games of the eighth seed, they'll play essentially a single elimination tournament for the ninth seed, a double elimination tournament for the eighth seed to give them more an advantage to hold on to that lead. So, again, Woj, on top of the 16 playoff teams that were already playoff teams when the season was postponed, there will be an additional six teams that are added. So we'll see 13 teams from the Western Conference and nine from the Eastern Conference. Why only nine from the Eastern Conference, Woj? L, the league essentially went with teams that were within six games in the standings of the eighth seed. Five of those teams were in the West. New Orleans, Portland, Phoenix, Sacramento— and the San Antonio Spurs, and then in the East, only the Washington Wizards. And now you have you know, a tournament environment potentially where Zion Williamson and New Orleans could get into the postseason. Portland with Damian Lillard uh, and C.J. McCollum and perhaps a healthy Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins. Those teams will come back stronger. And so, you know, as one owner told me, that they really believe that the 22-team format was ultimately the most compelling. Certainly, it was more financially rewarding for teams and players than only bringing back the 16 teams, but the ability here for teams to play themselves into the postseason uh, was a big part of this.
1: Tyler, can I just tell you something? Let's hear it. It doesn't matter if you've failed to be able to reach your goal the world will always tilt the axis toward you sometimes. If you failed, sometimes the world just comes to you. You know New Orleans didn't need to be in this tournament. Seriously. <laughs> or Portland. Like, yeah, it'd be weird, like, if you had the playoffs and not have Dame Dollar, not have CJ there. And and like we can't force feed Zion on NBA fans. Like it's if the if the Pelicans were not good enough to be in the top eight, that should be it. But clearly, the the, the The scales of justice has tilted toward Portland and New Orleans just for star power. That's crazy.
3: Well, who's going to call the timeouts now? Down 20 with 30 seconds left. It won't be Jim Boylan. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's for sure. I mean, it's just like, so all these other teams are like, we stink too. How come we're not in the playoffs? Those teams that didn't get into Sacramento's in this mix. Who wants to see the Kings again? I'm an NBA fan don't want to see Sacramento again. Phoenix is in there too? Come on, bro. Yeah, I, like give me to the playoffs for goodness sake. The in game 7 of the finals would land on October 12th if we get there. What a what a world we're living in right now. Let's talk about sports and business coming up next in 2 minutes on UTH.